grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Adopt Perspective. I'm your host, Joe Sparrow. Today's guest, Benjamin Kelleher, was adopted in Brazil in the city of, now I hope my pronunciation is right, Belo Horizonte. I hope I went well. You can tell me later, Benjamin. Um, in 1989, at the at 13 months of age, he was one of 5,000 children in the orphanage at that time. Uh, and after his adoption, he grew up in the sunny beaches of the Gold Coast in Queensland, from where he joins us today. Benjamin uh, recently participated in the creation of an educational video resource aimed at professional teachers, doctors and counsellors that was produced by Intercountry Adoptee Voices, or ICAV, as a lot of you know it, um, in partnership with Relationship Matters. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Benjamin. I'm delighted to have you join us today. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. And um, yeah, I think uh, pronunciation myself, even I'm sort of making sure I get it right. Depends <laughs> if I'm with other, you know, Brazilians and they'll probably tell me I'm, I'm getting it wrong. But as, as I'm learning, I'm kind of like Belo Horizonte. But again, oh, my goodness. Sure Google because, really failed me this morning then. Uh, it, like I said, I'm sure any Brazilian. <laughs> that might be watching probably like oh he butchered that but (laughs) sounded a lot better than my version my little phonetic google attempt (laughs) look um benjamin i guess we might start if and see if it's okay with you if you could share um your story of adoption with us um yeah sure so it's been really kind of recent i've delved into it's only been the last sort of few years that i've really uh, I guess going backwards to try and work out where I am now. So, um, yeah, the adoption story for me. I guess my parents, my my adoptive parents, you know, they they went down the, the route of um, going the conventional way and trying to have kids, and that wasn't um, just wasn't for them. And I think that they also tried you no know, IVF. They tried a lot of different different areas, and I guess it came down to sort of adoption. So they'd gone through. Uh, being in New South Wales, Northern New South Wales, they've gone through the New South Wales um, state and all their channels to to adopt, and and they were quite open to a lot of countries that were were willing to um, be open to adoption at that time, and um, it just so happened to be that I kind of came across across their path, and and they were able to say yes. Uh, so yeah, so nineteen nineteen eighty nine, I was born, and it was thirteen months later that they were able to uh, go through obviously the massive process that intercountry adoption is, and make their way over to Brazil and um, pick up a little little baby. I was at the time I was uh, Marcos Marcos Flavio da Silva, and I'm now Benjamin James Kelleher. So wow, wow. So um, that would have been quite a trip for them. Did they have to go over to Brazil to grab you and bring you back? Obviously, yes. I would think yes, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, I've done a little bit of sort of research on the on the process now, but um, back then, at least, they had to spend a, a fair bit of time in country as well. So, all their, um, I guess, official processes can can be met to make sure. I guess they're they're hopefully good good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'd spent some time there once uh, meeting me and going through all the paperwork and everything and ha- spending some time with me so that then I guess their version of child protection and all that sort of stuff can be sort of checking up and seeing that my welfare was being met before uh, bringing me back to Australia and going through the process here and uh, so yeah they did spend a bit of time a bit of time there as well so mm. yeah so how was it for you growing up adopted very interesting I guess I grew up in northern New South Wales in, in town Kingscliff has grown a lot uh, in the last five, ten years. But at yeah. the time, it's kind of a 
was a quiet, surfy, you know, northern New South Wales sort of town. Um, so adoption wasn't, you know, very well known or big. Like I uh, know uh, in the early stages, I remember our family sort of going to these adoption picnics that were um, organised by different different organisations. I haven't seen sort of many since. Um, but there was one family in, in the Kingscliff area that had also adopted, so we were kind of close to them, and um, that was good having that connection. But otherwise, growing up, especially in the younger younger years, it's kind of just a different place, uh, different place to be, I guess, because being um, – I have a brother as well who was adopted from Colombia uh, a few years younger than myself, but sort of – so we've got 50% of our family was, was black and from South America, and 50% is obviously white Aussie. So from the get-go, it's not like there's um, some great sort of secret or something mm-hmm. looming over the family. You know, from from the from the jump, you're adopted. Yeah, there's no late discovery. It, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I guess growing up, stepping into school or different things, different social um, aspects of life, uh, you kind of know that there's, there's just that different aspect about you, even about your family. You kind of, I guess, a little bit of a novelty for a lot of people in in, in a way, and um. But I think um, obviously for kids, it's hard to fully grasp what adoption means, especially trying to explain to kids at school. And they're like, oh, so like, where's your real mom or where's your real dad or what does that mean? Or so many questions that you, as a kid, you kind of try and give answers to. Mm. But I guess you're, you yourself, you're kind of working it out. Um, yeah. and, and as you kind of develop, you have a bit more understanding of everything that's going on. But I mean, there's still so much even now uh, becoming a parent myself kind of opened my eyes to so many different different aspects to what adoption means whether that's local adoption or inter-country adoption all of that um but I mean yeah growing up again I was there weren't a lot of afro um people of African complexion in my my town either so that alone you kind of your your novelty and you stand out anyway and um that kind of has both its uh positives and negatives I found because mm. uh, I, I found myself especially getting when you start growing into the um, high schooling and those later years where I guess fitting in and, and all those sorts of pressures start to hit teens in all sorts of ways so they're trying to find themselves for me it kind of relieved a little bit of pressure because I already knew I was different so mm. it's kind of like I've got no hope fitting in so, so to speak, no matter how hard I want to try, you know, I can go out and I can buy all the cool stuff that's out right now. I can do all this sort of things. But at the end of the day, like, you know, my family, some of my family's from this part of the world, some of my family's from that part of the world, some of my family looks like this, some of them look like that. Um, you know, there's so many aspects where it's like, yeah, you're different. You're not, you're not hiding that one, which kind of just meant I could just, just be. It kind of just puts you in a place where growing up, you can kind of just be because you've got no other choice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, in, in that aspect, yeah, growing up adopted was not too bad. And then I guess other ways I'm finding more as I grow and uh, I guess explore adoption, I'm kind of now linking things that were going on for me growing up mm. more to the adoption journey, um, you know, both both good and I want to say bad or challenging. Yeah. It really is a lifelong journey, isn't it? Like different things come up in your life you know you have kids you get married you just things happen and suddenly adoption is something you're thinking about again and it opens up you know new ways for you to think about it I guess and understand it absolutely yeah yeah so when I was growing up Benjamin um I was and the other three were biological parent uh children of my parents so I was the only adoptee so I didn't um have anyone Mm -hmm. in my family um to compare it to as in, um, you know, another adoptee to talk about it with or, or to influence. Um, so I was just wondering, you mentioned that you had um, other adopted people in your immediate family. Do you have any thoughts on how that might have impacted your experience? Well, yeah, I guess definitely on the, on the flip side, I guess, to your experience, having a brother to somewhat bounce off and you kind of got that something to connect the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've noticed obviously everyone's everyone's adoption journey seems to be different. Obviously, there's a lot of ways that connect everyone that's adopted, and there's there's things that someone will come and we'll have a discussion, and someone will say, "Oh, I, I felt like this growing up." I'm like, oh, I never never really experienced that, and that sort of thing. But um, funnily enough, like you know, my my birth, sorry, my adoptive father, 
he was also adopted. So, oh, wow. you know, out of the four people in our family, three were adopted. Um, yeah. But then in, in saying that, growing up for us, it was kind of never spoken about, whether it was because it was kind of we were all adopted, so it's like we're all adopted, so it's normal, so don't even worry about it, or whether yeah. it was a case of our parents trying to find a way to normalise everything because I've also noticed again parenting every parent tries to do what they can with what they've got and I know for some like there'd be it'd be such a such a journey for parents to um I guess like any parent to work out like am I doing the right thing is this going to screw my kid up later like some parents might really try and delve into adoption and make it just an open discussion at all times and obviously some um definitely in our family it seemed like it was kind of in a way of normalizing we're trying to not make a big thing of our existence almost trying not to bring it up too much um yeah so then growing up it was just never really never really spoken about and um yeah I guess now I'm kind of like oh is that it's kind of a bit odd or that's a bit I don't know if that's really helpful or or, or whatnot but um yeah definitely at least having having my brother sort of there and we kind of we, we look somewhat similar I guess complexion at least anyway um that's definitely helped as opposed to say like your your story of um sort of being the only sibling um yeah that would have been a a really different place to be in I I guess yeah yeah I really I really do understand that like you said as a parent you get to look and reflect back on things and sometimes you don't want to make a big deal out of something in case you're making it a bigger deal than what it is to the kid and then Mm. Um, and then the vice versa as well. Sometimes they might get the impression they can't talk about it because you aren't. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I think so. And I think one thing that has been very common with a lot of adoptees that I've spoken to is that whole finding how to teeter on the line of the whole being grateful Mm-hmm. so the thing of like okay like it's not really spoken about or whether it is or not but okay do I bring it up if I've got questions is that you know me rocking the boat yeah. you know should I just be grateful because of I've got this amazing life I've got these people that have adopted me and I've got a roof over my head and all those sorts of things and um again as speaking to my brother I don't know if he's sort of been as deep as I was in some of the, the feelings and things going on in my head but for me growing up from a very very young age and I know I mentioned this on that I have the videos um, but for me growing up it was a case of be seen but not heard mm. so I never I didn't ask too many questions either because for me it was about not rocking the boat and okay what does the perfect child look like because uh, as much as you know watching watching my favorite sitcoms especially Fresh Prince and stuff I used to love mm. that show but it had this kind of, um, it painted this image of this family and this unbreakable bond between people because they're related by blood. And for me, it was like, well, I don't know if that's particularly accurate because your own flesh and blood can give you away if they want to. Mm-hmm. Who's to say anyone else can't? So therefore, you better kind of just, you know, watch your step, do what you've got to do, don't rock the boat, and then there's no reason for anyone else to want to give you away. Um, so I think that alone can kind of influence um whether or not as an adoptee you speak out when maybe you've got questions or want to ask different things. Um, yeah, I think it kind of goes both ways. I find my family probably had a bit to do with whether we did or didn't speak about and bring up adoption and then obviously my own in, internal sort of talk and things like that. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, growing up you can see how that can kind of start to influence a lot of areas in your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess um, that brings me to a question I was going to ask you about later, because when I was growing up, I was very cognizant of the fact that if one set of parents has given me away, then my adoptive parents could also do so. And that sort of sat in the background of, you know, my thinking. And so as a consequence, I was about 13 before I stayed a night away from my parents, unless my Mm -hmm. brother was with me, because in my head, I thought, well, he's their kid, so they'll come back for him. So if he's with me, I'm all right. But if he's not with me, so I would get terribly homesick. I would never stay away from them. And I did wonder what was your experience like in that regard? Like, did is that something you thought about that you could be given away or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
like I said, that it 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 forced—I can't say forced; it was my own choice—but it, it influenced how I was as a child in terms mm. of I was always the quiet, very very quiet, very much. Um, but people always, like people that have known me all my life still sort of like, oh, you just you you're always quiet, just so easygoing, so very much because it was always like, oh, oh, like do you, do you want something to eat? Like, oh no, it's fine. It's like yeah. just just be polite, just say no, and just you know, there's no reason for anyone to. Th- think you're being a burden or anything like that that could possibly jeopardize your place in 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 where you are so it was kind of um I developed this persona that absolutely became me like uh I think for the longest time I was just that quiet easygoing compliant yeah as as, Mm -hmm. you know to to this day like I'm still learning how to accept I mean like and uh, I'm, again, I'm sure you can attest to this and most adoptees kind of especially like birthdays and things Mm -hmm. I never ever wanted uh a lot of fuss over my birthday like that was never a thing and it wasn't so much because I thought it was like a sad day or I was mourning or anything it was just I don't want a fuss made because I want to be in the limelight because I just want to just be a fly on the wall and then I'm, I'm going to my places exactly exactly it yeah. um but yeah I think um oh, at some point obviously you realize you're not going to be given away mm-hmm. but I, I think by then so much of what you've done has been so cemented into the fabric of your your persona that you still just um, it becomes habit and, and yeah. whatnot for I sure. So relate, I so relate, Benjamin. Um, domestic adoptees often report feelings of not fitting in with their adoptive families, and sometimes also the communities that they're raised in. And in the country, adoptees have the additional cross-cultural complexities. Um, so I'm wondering what was and is it like growing up as an adoptee from Brazil in Australia as far as fitting into culture? Oh, that's a big one. Um, <laughs> I mean, we already sort of touched on it, even just the fact of like um, whether I am or not pronouncing the name of the city I was born in, you know, that yeah. kind of it just sums it up. And it's funnily enough, um, being here on, on Gold Coast, there's lots of, you know, farmer's markets that we all tend to go to with the family to get our fresh produce for the week. And Gold Coast has a lot of Brazilians here at the moment. I mean, it's just, um, I think the surf culture has brought a lot to the air in the last sort of five, ten years. Yeah. Um, so I'm always sort of bumping into Brazilians for sure. And one of the market stalls that I go to is run by a Brazilian family. And obviously and, you know, they're asking, like, oh, where are you from? And sometimes I'm hesitant to tell people. I, like I knew straight away, like I could, I could hear them speaking Portuguese, so I knew they were Brazilian. And for a long time, like being that that cultural sort of mix, at times you be, you're hesitant to tell people from Brazil I'm Brazilian because I feel like I'm a fraud. Mm. Because I'm, yeah, I was born there, but I, you know, I'm not really immersed in the culture. And I'm, again, like there's so many layers to that, like my family and again not sort of I guess wanting to delve into it a lot and I've spoken to my adopted mom about this in terms of the lack of cultural immersion growing up mm, um, yeah. but then there's also you know I'm 33 so I've had plenty of opportunities in my life to go down that route myself so I've got to take responsibility for that as well but yeah it's kind of funny that even to this day like um, running into Brazilians and, and saying yeah like I was I was born in Brazil and straight away like, oh, you know, follow Portuguese. And I'm like, nah, sorry, I don't. Like, yeah. and then you can kind of see that look. And depending on like, especially the the, the man that ran the market store um, yesterday, and I've had it before, where they'll have a look of disappointment because you're one of their own, like you're one of their countrymen, but you don't even speak the language. And they'll kind of just, yeah, like he, he gave me this look and he even said like, oh, like he gave me some free stuff. I don't know if it was just pity or what. And it's just like, I'm, Oh, I'm just really disappointed you don't even speak Portuguese. I'm like, yeah, look, I know, I'm, and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And it's kind of like you feel like every time you, you you get into that position, you're letting down your your birth country, you're letting down your people and and a culture. But at the same time, like you, Australia is also my people and my culture. So it's it's a funny one. That's definitely something that's um, throughout my life has sort of followed me. And it used to be like my parents when they would meet. Brazilians would say, oh, like our son's from Brazil. And straight away they start wanting to speak to me in Portuguese. And it got to a point, especially when I was in that teen phase where you, you know, all these social anxieties and stuff, where I, mm-hmm. I just kind of turned to, to, to my mom and dad and said, like, stop telling people I'm from Brazil. Stop it. They're going to ask me if I speak Portuguese. I'm going to say no. And then they're going to be sad and I'm going to be sad. Stop doing it. And, yeah, it's one of, one of those things. And I yeah, think. It's painful. Yeah. 
But um, again, there's a lot more out there now. And even just obviously growing up, YouTube and all those sort of things weren't as heavily used. Obviously, Instagram and stuff wasn't developed to the stage it is now where you can jump on and no matter where you're from, you can find so much, you know, content and things out there, whether it's learning a language, learning cooking, learning painting, like all sorts of things that you can immerse yourself in any culture you want so so easily now that it's it's a lot different. Obviously, growing up, it just wasn't the case. Unless you kind of knew someone or something, you don't have that cultural immersion. And, again, being the quiet, not rock the boat kid, I wasn't going to go out of my way to ask for it or search for it. Um, so, it, yeah, it was a funny place to be. It's definitely a bit of a limbo. You know, I grew yeah. up in a pretty white-scented, surfy sort of town. I didn't really surf because I try like the cold water. And my dad, like dad surfed. So he was like, oh, come on, let's, let's go surfing. And he'd teach me. And like after like 20 minutes, I'm like, I'm going in, I'm cold. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I, I didn't really connect with the surf culture I was growing up in. You know, it wasn't yeah. until my later years that being, again, um, small town in New South Wales, rugby league was a thing. It wasn't until I was like in my late sort of high schooling that I got into rugby league. So I wasn't really in that culture either. Wasn't in the Brazilian culture Obviously, there wasn't a lot of Black Afro culture outside of the, you know, MTV, a lot of rap and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's just been a part of a lot of different cultures all mixed up in one. Where do you sit and where do you fit? Um, yeah. Very, very different. But yeah. Well, and when you're, um, when you're in your formative years and you are growing up within your culture, you pick up cues, little things that people, you can't, you can't learn that on a YouTube video. You know, there's, mm. there's little family and cultural cues that come from just being immersed in it when you're a child. So um, I really understand that limbo and that struggle of trying to get it now as a grown up and trying to immerse yourself in it and learn it. And yeah. I, thanks for telling us about that. Yeah, it's, it's constant. It's it's constant journey. I think it's it's kind of fun. Like it's just giving me something new to do. Especially obviously, you know, COVID and there were lockdowns and things going on. Like, what better time to learn a language? Yeah. So. yeah. Obviously, there weren't a lot of opportunities back then to engage in that Brazilian culture and language when you're a kid. Um, just sort of thinking back to that time, like the internet would have even just sort of been new back when you were growing up, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And then it's not like now where everyone's got smartphones and everything. You know, for me, it was, if we're on the internet, one, obviously it starts started up with that dial-up with that god-awful sound. And obviously <laughs> then, you know, if someone needs to use the phone, well, they're you just going to cut off. your internet out. So, <laughs> so good, yeah. good luck trying to learn a language and halfway through you've got that robotic sound. <laughs> Benjamin, um, you touched on this before, but adoptive people are often told or it's implied that they should feel grateful and that they're lucky because they have a better life than if they'd stayed with their first families or wherever they came from. Um, what has your experience been in relation to this? <laughs> um, again, so yeah, I touched on this on um, on the ICAD sort of video, but I've actually caught tattooed across my back from shoulder to shoulder, forever grateful. So yeah. I get, again, that kind of sums up. And it was funny, I, I kind of cue, clued in, I guess, recently, the fact that even the positioning, mm-hmm. intentional, unintentional, the fact that it's like you're car- literally carrying that weight on your back. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, again, for me, like, grateful. And it wasn't like anyone ever said, like, you need to be grateful. I'm sure, like, the, the older generation, I'd hear it a bit, like the sort of older ones that they'd be like, oh, you're just, you're so very lucky and all this stuff. And obviously they're, they're coming from maybe the very little they know of Brazil, you know, it's a huge country, but again, the most that um, I guess media and, and and things like that and pop culture is going to show Brazil is either going to be, you know, World Cup and football or mm-hmm. Carnival or it's, it's the favelas, yeah. and, you know, so a lot of people, they just assume the entire country is just, you know, one big slum and it's all football and, and drug drug wars. But, like, you know, obviously it's not the case. But, for again, for a lot of people, that's the image they're going to get. And, again, I guess it's partly the, um, the I guess, the little we have, again, in media and, and pop culture of adoption as a whole. It's most adoption stuff that's out there, whether it's movies and different things like that, is going to be some poor kid that's come from some god-awful situation and they get brought to the light, And whether it's some nice God-fearing people that come and save them or otherwise, you know. Um, so 
um, it wasn't sort of yeah directly implied but just through different conversations or different things there is that kind of why oh, you should be grateful look at where you are and even just the fact of you know being told like you know you're one of five thousand you know it's hard not to try and imagine five thousand kids and somehow I'm I kind of think of it like the claw machine at, at the yeah. at the shops like somehow you get plucked out of out of that mix um just randomly luck uh yeah like I know yeah. from what my adoptive family had told me like I wasn't I wasn't too well when when they did get me so whether that was partly the reason why they kind of were able to move me on quicker than some of the others obviously mm. you're still a baby you know 13 months I was still a baby so I was probably still in hopefully that cute phase where that definitely would help whether you're going to get it um, plucked out or not but I know like at 13 months like I still couldn't sit up um my toes were, my toes were all like curled over because they just hadn't ever been used um obviously malnutrition you know and probably not a lot of contact outside of the basic needs um I know there was I think it was pneumonia but I was quite quite sick um so I'm, I'm sure that probably influenced maybe just moving me on um mm-hmm. but um then yeah growing up I think reading into that and obviously it's partially again you've got to take responsibility for your own self-talk and and what you decide to pick up or put down but I just kind of yeah definitely held on to that that um I should be grateful feeling and so I think that in itself partially means you kind of force yourself to switch off from your needs because you're in a place of like well I should be grateful for what I've got so therefore like I shouldn't be asking for too much more or striving for too much more which can you know can have um positives in in a way of being able to see perspective you know I kind of look around and I'm still like man like we're doing all right I've got I've got a roof over my head I've got running water whenever I need it food in the fridge like to me I'm kind of like I'm I'm living humble but I'm living like a king like I'm this this is really good Uh, I've seen what else could be out there for the world and this is very good Uh, but at the same time yeah kind of does that then mean you've decided that your ceiling is here when it should be up here Mm-hmm. Um, as far as your, your own needs and, and and what you kind of deserve in life and it's definitely followed me through to have some negative effects on, on my life um and so I mean, you, you know you, you kind of you have to learn to break that cycle especially having kids now like I, I want them to to want nothing but the best for themselves and I think um that means knowing when yes there's times where you can be grateful for what you have and what you've been given but then knowing that then that doesn't mean then you should just settle and, and be complacent with the rest of life. And that, that's something I think I've, I've definitely had to learn. Speaking to my brother, I don't know if he was, again, we're only now having a lot of these conversations, um, but, you know, how much I guess that being grateful has impacted him as well. Um, again, I think not having a lot of conversation in the, in the family household um, means that sometimes I guess some of those feelings and thoughts are not imply, but you kind of just assumptions almost mm. because it's not like you actually uh, clarify that stuff with the closest people around you being your parents. Uh, again, like, you know, dad was also adopted and he kind of came from that hardworking, his his family were like farm, farmers, you know, he went away to boarding school. So he had a kind of very regimented and very sort of structured way of looking at life. And um, yeah. he was just always just out there to do some hard work and, and, and do what he does so it wasn't like I ever really heard him complain either so I guess you know when you're looking at your greatest male influence I don't ever really he just worked hard and, and worked for the family and did what he did and I don't ever really remember him I guess complaining about the little things too much so then I guess it doesn't really give you permission to think that it's okay to do so yourself mm-hmm. um so yeah, you're kind of like oh I guess I should just be grateful so I guess um I was a very long-winded answer no idea if it answered the question but it did it did and it's something I really resonate because I grew up in like a country family as well that just worked hard they didn't navel gaze they didn't you know there wasn't a lot of complaining there and so when you did sort of think about those things or think about how something might have negatively impacted you you kind of didn't feel like you had permission to do so I really under yeah I really resonate with that yeah um, Benjamin, you enlisted in the Australian Army at the age of 22. What do you think sat behind that decision? A lot of things. And again, it's only in, in the last couple of years, I've really realised how much, again, adoption 
uh, and the adoption journey has played a part in a lot of the decision making and obviously a lot of it stems back to the being grateful and, and just wanting to, you know, have a place in society, fit in, all those sorts of things. So for me, the Army fit a lot of, I guess, met a lot of needs at the time I was at. Um, you know, for me, again, with the whole uh, not wanting to rock the boat and things like that mentality that I had and really sort of forged growing up, part of that was... Uh, not feeling, I guess, safe emotionally anywhere. Again, it's kind of like, well, if the closest person to you being like your biological, your birth mum can give you away, where are you really safe? So therefore, I, again, very early on developed this uh, mentality, right or wrong, um, that I emotionally, I, I, the only one you can really depend on, I guess, is yourself. So there was only a certain level that I would allow myself to be vulnerable with anyone, even my family. And this was from a very young age. So things like, you know, connection and, and, and touch were not a thing. Like I kind of remember when I stopped needing or wanting hugs or stopped needing or wanting any emotional support. You know, I didn't need anyone to pat me on the back, tell me I, I'd done good. I didn't need anyone to give me a hug and wipe my tears. For me, it was like, I've got this, it's on, it's on me figure it out, sort it out and, and, and crack on. And so obviously, you know, you, you look at, well, where does that work kind of well? Well, the military, you know, it's not like you've got time to be crying and blubbering on, like you kind of just dust off and pick up and, and push on. And so I kind of that, that started to resonate with me. I'm like, oh, that, maybe that's a good fit. Um, and then obviously but you, you're away for long periods of time. Again, I, I didn't have that connection. Like I could, I could go away for years. And I would not miss people. I could come back and just pick up where I've left off and um, and be fine with that. Just kind of to me, knowing someone was around or knowing someone was a friend or, or a family member was like that to me was all I needed. I know you're there. Cool. If I need you, I'll, I'll, I'll reach out. But I, I know you. Like someone says, yeah, I love you. That was kind of enough. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I need that extra something to let me know that they really mean it with the hugs or the kisses or the cuddles, presents or anything like that. Like I was fine. So again, for me, like going to the army, I was like, oh, well, like, yeah, sweet, good. And I, I used to, again, I don't know if partially the adoption or whatnot, but then growing up, I started to really, I always liked military stuff where it was movies and shows and different things. So again, it just kind of just increased that interest in that level. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just really seemed, I guess at the time it was a fit. And it also meant to me, I guess, I found as on an emotional um, needs level, there's a feeling of belonging. There's a feeling of you have a place, I guess, right. at least in that society, because everyone has a job to roll, a role or a job to play, you know, whether you, you know, you get into, cause I was in the infantry. So infantry, you know, you break it down to just like your squad or your section. Someone has to be like, you know, the scout or the point man. Someone has to be the machine gunner. Someone has to be the check nav guy. Someone has to carry the rate. Like everyone has, job therefore you are to some degree significant or important to a some form of a role and that I guess that kind of that family sort of unit cohesiveness um yeah whether you're feeling like there's a lot that you've somehow missed or you feel like you need it 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 fills all of those gaps um but in a way that you don't have to also be emotionally attached to it so it really was I guess the perfect fit and it was even now I look back at some of the choices I've made like I remember the day of enlistment and we're in Brisbane and, you know, I've got all these, everyone's around and you've signed, signed your life away to a degree, you know, and you sign a thing, you're sworn in and you now officially kind of the army now owns you. And, you know, you've got all these families around hugging their sons and to their daughters. And this is the last time they're going to say goodbye before you're going to basic training for three months. And then you're going off to your, your, whatever training you're doing for your specific role for like another three or four whatever months so it's like six months where you're probably not going to have a lot of contact with your family going through a lot of drastic changes and I just remember you know, like everyone's crying and all this connections happening and I kind of just I threw my bags on the bus gave my family that hug and was like yep I'll see you when I see you that's it <laughs> bye jumped on the bus and sat there and it wasn't until we're halfway down to Sydney and I've got guys still kind of ringing and calling family and a few tears here and there. And I just remember kind of looking out the window and be like, hmm, 
I'm probably not going to see my family in a while. Maybe a longer goodbye was probably a better option. And, you know, it's like, who does that sort of thing? A guy like, man, like, um, am I too emotionally detached? What is that about? And then, you know, from there now, I'm kind of like, yeah, 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 you were. You definitely <laughs> yeah. were, man. Like, that's because I think now, like, imagine my family. Like, that was the first time I'd really been away from home for the, long, the longest time. So even, mm-hmm. like, I look at that for my brother, I was kind of just like, boom pop smoke and I'm out of there like what, what what would that have been for him especially being an adopt D whether abandonment issues are a thing or not someone who's maybe one of your closest people to you is kind of to a degree also abandoned you yeah. and now I'm kind of like man like I probably did him dirty by doing that like that was not not a good move um, wow. but yeah like I guess that was the start of my enlistment and then you know going through it's kind of again even then you're forging an identity within in the army and uh, trying to fit in and, and that can kind of even that can wreak havoc because at the time then I was um you know I was with my partner and then we were getting married through all that and trying to fit into that army culture it was very much a boys club and it, for you know for, for good reasons too you know like it's, it is about like even when you're not at work trying to have like the platoon or have like you know these big barbecues and functions because it's about really connecting because you know if you're going overseas with the boys you want to be as close as you can because you can depend on them for your life um, and it was kind of how do I be about that, but then also be about being, you know, a husband and a family man because that really meant a lot to me as well. And even that, uh, so, so many identity issues and I kind of look now I'm like, man, I feel like a part, part of the problem with find, trying to get these identities right was the fact that I didn't have a stable idea of who I was from the get-go because I'd really uh, not connected enough with the adoption journey and how that had, had um, influenced who I thought I was or who I was trying to be. So then when you become an adult, all of a sudden you're trying to forge something that you haven't built the stable foundations for growing up. Yeah, right. Uh, that was leading into my next question, I guess, since you became a father, how has that impacted you in relation to your adoption? Hmm. Maybe it opened my eyes to a lot of a lot of areas and where I think it's important for me to to work on if I'm going to obviously like any parent, you kind of you want to make sure that your kids are a better version than you are at, at mm. all the stages of life. And so I'm like, okay, like, what am I doing or have I done, especially emotionally and internally, that has or hasn't served me, has or has had has or hasn't had you know a, a positive negative impact on my relationships, whether it's you know with family, with partners, different things. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, I think. Sorry, you can probably hear the dog barking in the background. That's all right. But, um, like for once, it's not my dog. <laughs> um, Carry on. Yeah, but it definitely becoming a parent, you kind of okay. It's now more important than ever to to I guess do the work, have a look at what is and isn't serving me, uh, and and try and break some of those I guess uh, some of some of those patterns or behaviour, some of those pattern thought patterns that just aren't aren't going to be great long run and and. I certainly wouldn't want my kids to pick up because I can already see there are traits in my son where he will internalize things. Like if he's having my, my daughter, she'll just, she, she'll, she'll let you know if she's, mm-hmm. she's unhappy or, or happy. She'll let you know. There's, there's times where I can see my son, you can almost see him physically start to want to bury it and you can see him internalize. I'm like, Whoa, no, 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 no. Like I can see what you're doing here, kid. Cause I wrote that book. <laughs> Negative. Not doing that. <laughs> Oh god, I so get that. My um, one of my sons is a lot like me, you know. That again doesn't need a lot of physical affection. Doesn't um, I, when I look at him, I think this is how I was with my adoptive mother. I didn't give a lot. I didn't, I didn't show gratitude very much. I didn't. Um, oh, I don't know. I just I wasn't vulnerable within my family unit at all. And I find him like that in a lot of ways. And I think have I visited this on you is this like part of your DNA or is this what you've seen from me you know and I don't I don't know the answers to be honest but I see a lot of myself and I do worry about some of those things I see sometimes that's, that's interesting not to not to flip it can I ask you a question on, on that one sure um it's funny because you mentioned because I've been thinking about this recently as well as far as not being vulnerable with family and therefore it's almost I've realized, did I even give my family the opportunity to know me? Mm-hmm. And then now, depending on which family's around and whatnot and, and strained relationships or, or, or good relationships, 
uh, yeah, I'm kind of like, okay, like, where do you sit now as far as, like you're saying, I, I was, you weren't vulnerable. I didn't give your family the opportunity to get too close. How does that sit with you now, I guess, and as far as um, letting people know you mm-hmm. as opposed to le- how much you let people know you when you were going through all that? I, I wish I had an answer for that, but, um, I mean, usually I'm the one asking the questions, and I think <laughs> that's because I'm really uncomfortable being vulnerable and um, talking about things. So I even find if people ask me about adoption, my voice changes, I might start coughing. Um, I, I don't like to talk about it. And I would say within my family, um, they probably don't have a very good sense of who I am at times, or maybe they do have a better sense than what I think they do, but I feel like they don't. I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't have the answers for that one, but I do find it very difficult to be vulnerable with them. And it's not through their, it's not from their side. It's from my side. Yeah. I guess it doesn't feel safe to be vulnerable mm-hmm. in those places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some, again, as something, oh, what was it? It was a term that I kind of like in my head, I kind of think about a lot now, like trusting, trusting vulnerability. I think that's mm-hmm. what it's like. You don't, it, for some adoptees is, is a lack of trust in vulnerability um, and it, whether it's just the adoption story alone or maybe from adoptive adoptive parents and family or foster parents of family whether they've reinforced mm-hmm. whether that's if vulnerability is a good thing or not but I find it's yeah it's a lack of trust in vulnerability sometimes it's not even the fact that people want to be vulnerable or don't want to be vulnerable it's just like it's just a lack of trust in that in that whole process yeah yeah, I would say it takes me years and years to open up to people and to form really strong relationships. And those relationships I've taken probably from childhood on, you know, really good friends and husband, and it's taken years to build those. Well, I know, like, in my, in my instance, like, uh, the mother of my children, like, we're separated now, but she pretty much had to teach me how to love mm-hmm. in, in so many ways. Like, I'd had other relationships and long-term relationships, but it wasn't until her that I kind of really had to learn how to receive love mm-hmm. again like the, the whole vulnerability thing like oh no like i don't need it i'm good i'll just i'll, I'll give it and i want to shower people but obviously it's a two-way street love mm-hmm. i'm learning that one but um <laughs> yeah I, I found like even the little things holding hands and things because again like i said i was not one for personal touch didn't need it didn't i, I didn't feel like i was lost or, or was any better off with or without yeah so obviously depending on the people that you're with and what their needs are she was one of those people like she needed to have that close connection like you know walking around holding hands those sorts of things it was something I really had to learn Mm -hmm. it doesn't come natural does it no it's something yeah I remember watching my sister who was like had a PhD in how to be vulnerable and available and affectionate and a great mother and all those things and I remember I used to copy her because I knew she got it right wow yeah Benjamin, uh, David Brzezinski, he's a he's researched and written a lot about adoption. He says that all adoptees search and even just our very wonderings and musings over who our parents might be is in fact searching, even if no steps are actually taken. So I was just wondering, have you taken any steps to search for your biological family? Uh, again, it's more of a recent thing. Um, mm-hmm. Whether the whole being grateful and not rocking the boat played a part, whether... Uh, I don't know, again, like we're saying, even just the fact that searching opens you up to a little bit of vulnerability of I don't know what I could find. Uh, I guess a lot of a lot of things now I'm kind of bringing to light as to maybe why I have or haven't searched. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, something in the last, I think, year and a year or so, something like that that I kind of, one, two, three, okay, two or three years, my bad. Um, I remember I got from... Christmas, I think it was my brother. He gave me um the one of those DNA test kits. Oh, yeah, the I, think it was, I think it was ancestry.com, one of those. Yeah. And even that, I think, sat somewhere in my cupboard for like a good year before I even, mm. you know, like that's 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 a big deal. Like someone gives you that and oh wow, like that's really cool. Let's let's do it. Somehow that sat in my cupboard for about a year before I pulled it out. I was like, oh, maybe I should do this. Yeah. And um, you know, I did that, sent that away and most of the connections I've got, they're all distant sort of 
third, fourth, you know, cousins, that sort of thing. But even that, it kind of, because of the, I liked the fact that it, it at least gave you a breakdown of, obviously it's it's somewhat of a um, hit and miss sort of thing, but it kind of gave you a breakdown of your DNA in terms of how much is Afro, how much is Portuguese, how much is, you know, like South American, how much is, you know, other parts of Europe, all that sort of thing. So even that was kind of like cool just to bring a little piece of the puzzle into play because it mm-hmm. kind of like, I know I'm Afro-Brazilian, but who knows like I didn't really know where from other than obviously reading historically whereabouts Portuguese took their slaves from um so I, I could kind of see where majority of the DNA sort of links seem to stem from it's like okay like that that makes sense and that kind of brings brings to light a few things and then um I actually ended up connecting with like one of the fourth fifth something like that cousins uh who lives in LA and so her mother had travelled from Brazil to, to America and um, oh, somehow we've got connections. So even then, just like talking to her and she's interested in family trees and stuff like that. So we've kind of been together now delving into and finding um, through her mother's side at least um, connections back in Brazil. And that's kind of obviously given me at least a bit more of a, an option, an opportunity to, okay, like these are connections and then so we can kind of, say did anyone know anyone from the family that happened to be in Belo Horizonte during this time of of their lives and all that sort of stuff and you know it's interesting because it was kind of just something I I, for myself I just put away I was like it's never going to happen so don't worry about it Mm. um because it's you know I was was one of five thousand I have like my adoption papers and things like that but there's very little you know my adoption papers have father unknown it's got my mother's name Amelia Maria da Silva but then that's it. Um, you know, she she gave birth to me at least in the hospital, which was which was good. But then as soon as she was able to, she kind of was able to get up and leave and, and leave me there to be put up for adoption. So I've got like no other links or anything to go on. So I've, I've put in some paperwork that I think was through the ICAV website as far as um, being able to get any other official documentation from your birth country. So I'm kind of waiting for that to come in as well, just in case there's anything else. Um, mm-hmm. I remember looking up my uh, the orphanage that I'd come from, but it was a government-run orphanage, which is now closed down. Um, and there's a lot of stories of neglect and whatnot. I think that government branch now just runs prisons, so it probably got converted. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been a, a recent, I guess, journey as far as delving into searching and what does that mean. And I think because I realised, again, for my own self improvement and development, and therefore to be a better version of myself for my kids at, at the very least, which is funny. I still put my kids first. Like it's not even mm-hmm. oh, it's not even for me. It's for my kids. Some should be for me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, for that own development, I realised well to move forward, there's going to be a level in which I need to move back and and put together those foundation pieces and so part of that has been I guess uh, allow myself to be curious allow myself to okay like it's okay to look or care about birth mother or birth father um so it's been recent um I, I at this point I'm not really any closer to saying oh I found someone I'm going to meet them or anything like that but you know it's it's, it's a journey and it's, it's for me, it's kind of, it's just fun. It's something new, a new aspect yeah. of life to, to look at, you know, mix that with trying to learn Portuguese and, and look at now that travel is kind of opening up again, trying to save some money and, you know, I can kind of go there because I guess the, the beauty of at least being born there is as, um, as long as I do all the stuff down at the consulate down in Sydney, I've, I've got, I can get my passport and still be a citizen so I can go and travel and spend a good amount of time there without having to worry about the visa issues and stuff. So, mm-hmm. uh definitely something I'm developing and again uh talking to my brother it's something that he's kind of now developing the more that we talk about things the more I guess it opens up those doors for both of us because yeah growing up like I've said before it was very it wasn't really spoken about at all uh we didn't really bring it up so therefore our parents didn't really bring it up I know like our dad he quite late in life like I was still at home but it was well like I was probably in like my late teens or 20s and he'd been contacted and, and by his biological family down in Sydney and had kind of gone down to Sydney and met up with them and stuff like that, but hadn't told us at all. Yeah. Um, and like I know like everyone's got their own thing, their own journey, and obviously there was a lot of 
uncertainty, paint, like I don't know because we didn't talk about it. I don't know what was going on for him internally, but obviously there was a lot for him to not think that that's something that you would share with the two other people in your life that are adopted and, and probably would celebrate that for you. Like for me, it's like, man, like I just, like I remember talking to him about it and I'm like, like you realize like I would have just been happy for you. Like I would have, like I don't know, again, like it's hard to tell if, as a parent, they thought he was, you know, they thought they were protecting us because it's something that he got an opportunity to do that maybe we didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? But so like, you know, that alone just um, the fact that he couldn't talk about the fact that he did get that chance to search and find family, um, I guess really sort of, close those doors as to whether I should be doing that sort of thing as well or talking about it so I'm yeah. kind of now searching and doing that sort of stuff and now having to speak to to you know my, my adoptive parents about what that means and obviously for them that would be probably tricky and emotional in some ways and um they've never said no or never said they wouldn't support me in anything like that but it was never spoken about either and I think the more I look at the more questions I have I'm sure some of those questions probably aren't that comfortable for them as parents or might feel like whether they are not being attacked as to their parenting styles or how they went about things. Um, Just, yeah, it's a very long and interesting journey for sure. It's just so complex, isn't it? Um, I often feel like adoption, it's, there's this carpet, you know, there's these seemingly simple um, choices that we have to make, you know, to search or not to search, to talk about things or not to talk about things. And underneath this carpet is just so much, uncertainties sort of bubbling around so much that we sometimes don't even have the words for you know to understand but it's just sitting there underneath those and it's just when we're ready to pick them up and and make some choices or you know go in a particular direction Mm, absolutely I think there's a level of like I think now I'm like okay like I'm I am I'm not searching like what about the other side do I Mm -hmm. have family that wonder what wonder sorry wonder about you know my existence yeah. uh, I, I could have family that don't even know about my existence most likely like yeah. uh, I think you know it's it's kind of both sides the more you think about it. the fact that like as an adoptee obviously we're very cognizant of how it has impacted our life yeah. and I guess there's the whole other side of birth mothers and fathers or cousins uncles brothers sisters like a whole other family network that you technically belong to to a degree that you know for various reasons you don't now or do once you've had that reconnection Um, and then what does that mean for them yeah so um as i mentioned in the introduction benjamin you're one of eight participants in the educational videos aimed at teaching medical and counseling professional sorry aimed at teaching medical and counseling professionals um and the videos are a fantastic resource. And if you haven't already, you need to go and watch them and send the link to any of those professionals that are in your life. Benjamin, what was it like being involved in the videos and why did you put your hand up? Uh, I think the big one of the biggest reasons I, I really wanted to be involved was because it was, I'd recently or somewhat recently at that stage found the ICAV website and and that sort of network and I was really was blown away by the the magnitude of adoptive voices out there that were connecting telling their stories sharing similarities bringing all sorts of things that like I'd said having not a lot spoken about in the home environment I was like holy holy crap there's a lot of adoptees out here and like that itself can be somewhat overwhelming because you're kind of used to being the novelty you used to being like the only one or yeah. And you just got this, this, this yeah, this plethora of, of of individuals out there with different stories, sim, you know, similar stories, all sorts of things. And I was like, wow, this is this is huge. And I could see already how much it was uh, helping me along my journey and kind of um, give me that 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 permission, I guess, to to want to speak up or speak out about things, whether it was with friends or family, and also wanting to learn more about adoption as a whole, my adoption, and also just how to help others maybe get to that stage because I think I like I said the more I look now into my life the more I see how many of my decisions uh, and the things that I've done in my life and patterns have been influenced by adoption and I'm kind of like man like if I can just maybe help be a part of the voice that brings things to light for people maybe sooner than when I've kind of come across stuff it might just help people maybe make a few less mistakes in their life or help them get onto that journey a little bit quicker 
so that maybe they can find some happiness that I feel like I kind of just robbed myself of just through some bad choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this, yeah, when um, they kind of put out the, the word to see who wanted to be a part of it, I kind of thought, oh, that seems like a good place to start. Um, and it was, it was a great sort of experience. And, as, you know, a few people I'm still can chat with and connect with. Um, there's a couple of guys from the Brisbane area, so it's not too far from me. So I'm kind of trying to connect with them when I can. And um, it was good sort of traveling down to Sydney and, and being a part of the, the filming and everything. And just even the questions being asked, I was like, there were some things where I was like, oh, like, what does that mean to me? And you kind of, again, like something like today, like this interview, it kind of forces yourself to actually have a look in and, and have a look at where do I sit with this and where do I sit with that? And there might be something that might be completely out of the blue that comes through conversation where I'm like, mm, I might need to look at that one a little bit more. Um, but yes, yeah, that it was, it was awesome. And um, I definitely do do more of it where I can just to lend that, that voice. Cause I think um, again, not to stereotype, but obviously in some ways, male and female, like the difference between how well men can kind of communicate in a lot of areas can still sometimes need a little bit of guidance. Uh, so definitely for young males as well, uh, young males who are adopted or at least know someone that's adopted or be a part of a family that have adopted someone, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's important to sort of uh, maybe just be a part of something that sparks a bit of conversation with whoever it needs to be, but especially young males because, you know, yeah. I think we've, we've got enough closed off, emotionally detached males out there. It's, it, you know, sure, it, it works in some ways. You know, it's, it's great on the work site. It might be great on the battlefield, but that's probably about it really, you know very small percentage of a wider community which kind of needs someone to be able to at least voice their needs and understand and connect to what maybe emotionally is going on for them so it doesn't blow up yeah yeah so in relation to those three professionals is there anything that you can identify now that would have been really helpful to you when you were growing up or even you know in the last few years if if there'd been knowledge or support about what, what would have been helpful for you um, I think, again, like indefinitely in line with young males and feeling, again, it's, it's that vulnerable thing, right? Like being, being able to be in a place where they feel safe enough to talk or mm-hmm. find who they need to talk to. So I think all three of the areas, as far as where it's doctors, um, mental health professionals or, or the schooling system, being able to identify uh where as the person that's in a greater place of power, you know, whether it's a teacher or a counsellor or a doctor or a parent, obviously you're going to be in a greater place of power than, say, a young person who's come under your charge in some way. Um, in that place of power, being able to identify where you need to step in as the adult and maybe help them along the way or at least give them the tools and show them the doors and then obviously it's up to them to a degree to, to walk through it. Um, and so whether that's a case like the doctors, like I know for myself, Again, partially because I just didn't have a lot of self-worth, didn't want to rock the boat, all those things that we've mentioned. For me, again, a part of that is my arm's pretty much got to be falling off before I'm going to see a doctor. Because to me, I'm like, don't, you know, just lick some dirt and get on with it. Like, how mm-hmm. bad is it? Don't worry about it. You're good. Don't, you know, it was, when I was younger, it was more about don't complain. So I kind of suck it up. Let's go. How many young males are doing that? And then if a, a young male is finally coming to a doctor and saying, hey, I've got this issue, I've got that issue, Knowing maybe some probing questions that indirectly you can find out a bit more about their situation growing up as to why it's taken maybe so long for them to come to see you or even just the fact that they come to see you about this, but it turns out they've got three other ailments that they're not, they haven't bothered doing anything about and now they're seeing a doctor as some males will do. Mm-hmm. Um, like, okay. And then if there's a lot going on for them and it might not even be adoption it just might be a lot going on for them as to why they're closed off to and disconnected to their own bodies and understand that this stuff needs to be addressed okay like here's also some maybe some counseling or different things that might help now that we've spoken about all these other areas or here's a doctor that's more in line with what you might want you know it might be someone that might just be the only black kid or the only Asian kid in their community and you've got three doctors to go to I'm like hey I, I can refer you on to this doctor if you want some people might see it as, is that a form of racism or you're assuming things, but for someone of colour, you know, it seems racist, but in so many ways you would feel so much more comfortable with someone that looks like you. And that's just mm-hmm. fact. And I think that's for anyone. Like, you know, if, if you're a white person, you travel to somewhere in Asia and you see another white person, you're going to be like, oh, hey, like, 
because just birds of a feather flock together and i find like that that alone can be it's kind of like it like you know a female can go to a male doctor or go to a female doctor a lot of times depending on what you're talking about it's probably a bit more comfortable going to a female doctor like that's just yeah. fact um so i see yeah like having a look at someone's background understanding their story a bit more as a as a like a, a health professional can kind of help maybe steer them into a direction to where they're going to be able to identify and find more help down the road yeah. uh, and i think that's the same with you know schooling and different things um uh, you know just the whether schools can have the capacity and there's so many elements i'm not in education so obviously there's a lot of elements that i know nothing about that need to be taken into consider but as far as like the multicultural groups or places in which someone that might be have some sort of different aspect of their life can feel proud to shine light on that um and it can be something as simple as depending on 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 the curriculum and there's a place where they can do some sort of oral presentation and all sorts of things whether it's not so much encouraging but uh having that positive sort of influence to say like if someone wanted to speak about their adoption or someone wanted to speak about different family aspects and that could be whether it's a local adoption or inter-country adoption again it's it's as a teacher how or any sort of educator how empowered are they within the system to understand the complexities of any form of adoption and then in doing so then how are they empowered to uh, support a child that might be going through that because they're going you know that child's going through all the normal teen stuff that happens plus then the identity stuff on top of that plus any other family stuff and you know it, it can be a lot for, for a young person and, and just knowing that they've got someone that may not fully understand but is you kind of know that they're in your corner they're interested um, yeah i think that's i think that's a big thing and it can just can can be the difference between for for a young person to be able to want to speak up or or even just take that home and they can do it at home where maybe they're more comfortable within their own um, family family unit as well yeah um, sure well, we're coming up to the end, um, which I'm really sorry about because you've been an absolute legend, Benjamin. I've loved this chat um, and I've learned so much. But I was just wondering if you've got any other thoughts that you'd like to leave us with today. Well, I don't know, without going too far over overboard or over time, there's you know, there's a lot. But I think I think you know, people like yourself just need to be recognized for you've taken your adoption journey and been like, how can I help the wider community? And in doing so, you you, you create these platforms such as this and you know like Ike Haven Linnell and, and and people like that I think it's um yeah it can just make a real real big difference for 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 a lot of people because whether they're comfortable like we said in in their own home space or not um they're going to search at some point or have thought about searching and it's, it is platforms like this that can really spark huge huge change um and you know, for for adoptees out there, I think it's just being reminded that you, you kind of you you're worthy of that change, and you're worthy of that happiness, and you're worthy of more than just being grateful uh, or um, thinking that this is just it, and I'll just kind of just crack on with life. Like you you're worthy of being able to make it what you you want to make of it. So I think that's um it's important and something that I definitely shied away from for a long time. So I'd I'd, I'd hope that there aren't too many out there like me. And, you know, unfortunately, if there are, well, then hopefully they get to listen to your podcast. Like I've listened to, obviously, knowing I was being on here, like listen to, to episodes. And it's just amazing just the the stories and things that come out and, and, and what people do and go through. So I think it's um definitely a big thank you to yourself and, and others out there like you, for sure. Thanks, Benjamin. Thank you. And look, thank you so much again. And we'll be putting um, links to the ICAV website and the educational videos on the podcast notes page so people can have a look. And if there's any other links you want us to put up, Benjamin, please let me know. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I know there are going to be a lot of people who are going to benefit from hearing this episode. And um, like you said before, particularly being a male voice, um, it's really important because it's actually harder for me to find men to talk about their experiences on the podcast. So I'm, I'm really grateful for you doing that. I, I am forever grateful. <laughs> Just don't get the tattoo. I won't get the tattoo. No. no. <laughs> Look, um, so that will wrap up from here. And I uh, just want to say that if you have a story that you'd like to share with us, um, if you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form that you'll find there. And note that Dot Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. 
Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Jo Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.